Well, amen. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We'll preach a message on John the Baptist. This is our first Sunday in the new year. We have 52 weeks left. Amen. I was thinking this morning, that's 208 more sermons. Praise God. Aren't you in for a real treat? <laughs> All right. The character of John the Baptist. I've really been praying this week and uh, last, actually the last couple of weeks. And God really has laid on my heart John the Baptist. And uh, I was reading about in, in John chapter 1 about John the Baptist. And I was reading in Matthew. And uh, the Lord just really impressed on my heart. We need to think about John the Baptist as we enter into the new year. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, And in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and of a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went, uh, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, uh, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, gathering his wheat into the gardener, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for this new year that you've given us. And uh, Lord, what many, what many opportunities we have laying before us to be able to share our faith with others and be able to live out a testimony of the grace of God working in our life. And Lord, we began, Lord, this year with the taking of communion, reminding ourselves, Lord, of the sacrifice that was required for us to be able to be saved be identified with the character of Christ and be uh, part of the bride of Christ. And uh, Lord, we're just thankful for the redemption that has been brought to us through uh, Christ's sacrifice on Calvary. And Lord, we're thankful for John the Baptist. We're thankful for the message. Uh, I'm thankful, Lord, for uh, the scriptures that reveal his life and how he prepared a people for the coming of the Lord. And uh, God, I pray that you impress upon our hearts this morning uh, the many opportunities we have to prepare others for the coming of Christ. And uh, Lord, I pray if there's someone here that's not saved, uh, may the Holy Spirit of God touch their heart in a great way. Uh, bring conviction, Lord, that they might repent of their sin. They might come and receive Christ as their Savior. 
So Lord, meet with us, speak to us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Our text verse that we're going to start off on and build off of is verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, the character of John the Baptist. We know that he was a great preacher for Jesus Christ. The whole focus of his preaching, the whole emphasis of his life uh, was to look towards the one who was coming, the one he was preparing the way for. Uh, he was literally the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to see that John's message, as we're going to look at for a little bit here in a moment, was one of a message of repentance, and Jesus Christ's message was repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is nigh, and, and uh, just getting right with God and getting things surrendered to the Lord. Not only was John a great preacher for Christ and a forerunner of Christ, but he was a martyr for Christ. Uh, he laid down his life for the Lord. Uh, he refused to compromise his message when his life was threatened. He refused to turn his back on uh, the Messiah that was coming uh, when the opportunities were pressuring him and those that were overwhelming him with a, uh, with a desire really for him to compromise and reject the Messiah that was coming, yet he remained faithful, he remained true. Uh, he was a man of great character in the midst of all the trials and all the difficulties and all the rejection, he still set forth a message that would bring forth people's awareness of who the Messiah is and what they needed to do to be right with God. And I just think in 2019, I really believe God wants to, uh, to move upon our hearts in a great way that we would not compromise who we are. We would not compromise the message. We would not turn our backs on the Savior but rather we would embrace the character of John the Baptist. And that's what I want to look at this morning for a few moments in reference to his life and uh, his ministry, his message, and all that he is and how we can make a practical application of that into our own personal lives, the character of John the Baptist. Notice, first of all, verses 1 through 3, it starts right out dealing with his preaching. Uh, we know John's beginnings as far as his mother and his father were faithful people who loved the Lord and were faithful in all the days of their lives. And literally, they would be blessed of God in a miraculous birth of John. But John, when he came on the scene, he came preaching the word of God, his preaching. And notice, first of all, that it was in a dark place. It says he's preaching, in verse 1, uh, in the wilderness of Judea. And uh, dark, darkness of this world. We're, we're living in a dark world. The world is not a world of light and jubilance. The world is a world of darkness and hatred and vile affections. And uh, I think sometimes we as Christians forget how vile the world is uh, when we have been saved for a while. In John chapter 3, in verse 19, it says, This is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And I, th I think John is trying to remind us of the darkness and the wickedness of this world in which we live. And uh, listen, men love the, uh, the unfruitful works of their unholy acts, and more so than coming to the light of Jesus Christ. 
If you're going to live a life for Christ, you're going to immediately face opposition. If you're going to speak praises unto your God, you're going to immediately have to deal with rejection because the world rejects the light of Jesus Christ and John came preaching in the darkness of this world. In John chapter 8, in verse 21, I'm sorry, John chapter 8 in verse 12. Oh, went too far here. I'll get back there. Amen. John chapter 8 in verse 12. Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The difference between the believer and the unsaved is that the unsaved is walking and groping in darkness, whereas the saved individual is walking in the light and testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not walk in darkness. And so as a believer in Christ, we need to be reminded many times that we are to embrace the light of Christ and not to embrace the darkness of this world. And so his preaching was in a dark place. And uh, listen, the world is not getting any better, uh, is not getting more holy, and is not in, in, in illuminating more light, but rather it is getting darker and more wicked as the days go by, and that's where you are, that's where I am, that's where we live, and that's where our message of salvation uh, permeates the darkness it will just tell people about who Christ is. So he came preaching in a dark place. Don't be afraid to speak up for the Lord uh, in 2019. I understand that it creates some problems. I understand that there is always issues that you got to deal with, but that's what happens. The light always reproves the darkness. Holiness always reproves wickedness. And so if you're going to live a life of the light of Christ, it is going to create opposition in your life. It's just amazing to me. I've been saved since 1979 and time keeps marching on. And I just found this. It isn't getting any easier to be a light in this world. Uh, I'm, I have found this, that people are more aggressive to opposing the righteousness of Christ, and forcing themselves on the Christian to embrace the unrighteousness of the world. It's not going to let up. It's going to get more difficult as the return of Christ approaches. And so we need to embrace the character of John the Baptist and realizing we have a message to proclaim. And yes, that message is in a dark place. But not only was his preaching in a dark place, it was with a strong demand. Notice in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 3 where we read, As he came, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and in verse 2, And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now when he says repent ye, it's not a suggestion. You understand he's not saying, Well, if you feel like it, repent. You understand he's not approaching this, uh, the confronting people in their sinfulness and rejection of Christ to say, you can continue to go that way if you feel going that way, but let's just get along. It's 2019. No, he had a strong demand. He said, repent ye. Literally, the word repent means to have a change of heart or a change of mind that brings a change in your character. In other words, when we come to Christ, 
We need to repent of our sins and get it under the blood so that we might live a life of righteousness. There's not much repentance preached on anymore because everything is about accepting one another for who we are and what we believe. That is not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is a strong demand that you need to get right with God. We need to repent of our sin. The amazing thing, Matthew Henry said this in reference to this matter of repentance. He said, some people don't like to hear much of repentance. But I think it's so necessary that if I should die in the pulpit, I would desire to die preaching repentance. And if, I, if out of the pulpit, I would desire to die practicing it. And I tell you, there needs to be a revival in the senses and the emotions of the people of God that we must live a life of total repentance unto our Lord. We cannot be satisfied with allowing ungodly practices to come into our life and start to corrupt our whole thoughts and our whole actions. We need to repent of those things quickly and get right with the Lord. So his preaching was in a dark place. It was with a strong demand. But in verse 3 we see it was filled with a clear description. He pre was preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in verse 3 he says, for this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so notice a clear description of who he is and what his message was. Number one there, just underneath of that, would be a prophetic fulfillment. John's preaching was a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. John's revelation, as he is telling forth those that were hearing his preaching, was that the Lord is coming and you need to get right with God and uh, this is what was spoken of by the prophet, that there would be the forerunner, the one who would come and warn people that the Messiah was coming into this world and they needed to get right with God. You know, the message is still the same today. The Messiah is coming. Jesus Christ is returning. And if you take and you look at, at the preaching of the early church, their preaching was about the return of Jesus Christ. Then we needed to get right with God. You know, during the tribulation period, the message during the tribulation period is that the Messiah is coming and you need to get right with God. I mean, all the way through the Bible, prophetically, God is presenting uh, the, uh, the reality that we must get right with the Lord. So it is a fulfilled, clear description that it was prophetic fulfillment. But it was also a powerful statement because he says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And uh, John wasn't about anything else but to have a people that were ready uh, to get right with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I really know with all my heart that we can live a life that can be powerfully influencing others for Christ. You do not, listen, listen to me. You cannot influence people for Christ when you live just like the world does. You cannot have a powerful statement of a testimony of living for God when people that are unsaved look at your life 
and see you doing and acting and going and being everything that they are. I know that's not a popular message. And for 35 years I've been preaching this message and I've had all kinds of people get mad at me over the years. But I'm just saying this, you cannot be an effective testimony for God when you're acting like the world. And John's message was very clear and direct and because it was fulfilling prophecy and it was powerful because it changed people's lives. I mean, people were coming by the droves to John to be baptized in the Jordan River and his life and his testimony made a difference. Notice there was a proper alignment that needed to be. He says, make his paths straight. You know, you know it's an amazing thing is this. That we're supposed to be on the straight and narrow way. We're not supposed to be on the broad and crooked way. We're supposed to be on the straight and narrow way. And uh, I know there's, there's many who will never find the straight and narrow way. But that doesn't mean you're to abandon it. Doesn't mean you're to turn your back on it. Uh, John's message was, wait a minute, you need to get on a straight path here. A straight path that leads to righteousness. A.W. Tozer said this, Holiness, as taught in the scriptures, is not based upon knowledge on our part. You know, you know, people are always seeking knowledge, always wanting to know more, always wanting to know more, and they think that's going to create righteousness. He said it's not based on knowledge on our part. Rather, it is based upon the resurrected Christ indwelling us and changing us into his likeness. Let's, let's, let's know this. Holiness is not so much about what you put on and how you act on the outside. Holiness is what Christ is doing on the inside, completely changing your character, completely changing who you are, and the automatic response is the changes inside influence the outside. And so A.W. Tozer has it, I believe, right on the head, nail on the head here as he talks about this matter of the indwelling of Christ changing us into the likeness of Christ. John's preaching, I mean to tell you, it was straight, uh, it was strong, it was uncompromising, and it impacted people's lives. And my prayer is that in 2019, that we'll have that type of character that will proclaim the truths of the Word of God and impact many people for Jesus Christ. So we see his preaching in verses 1 through 3. We see his practice in verse 4 through 8. He's a strange individual, I'll tell you that. In verse 4, it says, The same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Well, that gets my attention right away, amen. I just think I'm going to go out and get me a camel's hair raiment, amen. <laughs> get me a leather girdle. Oh, boy, I have to get a big one. And, uh, <laughs> and get me some locusts and wild honey, and I'll be all right, amen. That'll make you spiritual. <laughs> His practice. What, 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 do you, what do you, can you gather out of that verse? Just see, see this that he was uh, distinct in his apparel. I'm going to tell you, when John the Baptist was coming, they knew he was John the Baptist. I mean, there was no confusion whatsoever about who it was coming preaching. And I just know this, that we ought to be distinct. We ought to be distinct 
and how we conduct ourselves and how we look. I, I don't think we ought to be like the world. I don't think we ought to pattern our lives like the world. In 1 Peter chapter 3, in uh, verse 3, speaking about, well, I'll read verse 1 through 7, actually, because this deals with the whole relationship between husbands and wives. But it deals with this a distinction of apparel, distinction of appearance. And notice it says, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Boy, that, that, that one, that, that's a principle that rattles around and shakes up the world whenever you start to talk about that. And uh, I remember my mom years ago, and uh, well, there were different people telling my mom that she ought to divorce my dad, and she told him, told him flat out, she said, that's my husband. And uh, God's commanded me to love my husband, to submit to my husband. And people were, oh, I mean, they were irate. Oh, what are you talking about? You don't need to live that way. And, well, I'm glad she stuck it out. Amen. I'm glad she prayed for 28 years. I'm glad my dad got saved. And I'm glad everything changed when Christ came into the house. Amen. And uh, if so, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. I know that's not appealing to the world. That if any, man, if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, by the lifestyle of the wife. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. It'd be nice if some politicians in Washington, D.C. cleaned up their filthy mouths. It's going on anymore, all this stuff that's going on. You need to put R-rated on the speeches from Washington, D.C., Chase conversations. Whose adorning, let it be that of the outward adorning of the, not of the plaiting of hair and the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. You know, the um, uh, cosmetic business is a multi-billion dollar business in America. Now, we'd take care of that if you just want to be godly. Amen. Not worry about the outward appearance. Now, you know, you're getting quiet. I better be on. Said, so, preacher, you're getting out of preaching and starting to meddle now. Keep moving. <laughs> Charlie wants to park here a while. Let him come up and take over. Amen. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in old time, holy women also who trusted God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. She didn't say Lord. She was calling him Lord respectfully. Whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement, likewise, in other words, everything he's already said, likewise, you husbands, Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. So men, stop being disrespectful and abusive with your wives. Start, start being nurturing and caring and loving with your wives. Uh, weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Why don't you say, what are you talking about here? I'm just saying this. We ought to be distinct in our appearance in our apparel, that people ought to be able to look at us and say, are you a Christian? You don't look like everybody else. You don't act like everybody else. You ought to have a life that characterizes something different 
and pointing people towards Jesus Christ. So distinct, he was distinct in his apparel. Notice he was deliberate in his appetite. He had to be deliberate in his appetite when you think of him eating locusts and wild honey. Uh, that just not, does not appeal to me at all. And, uh, you know, Jesus was talking to the woman at Jacob's well and a uh, Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And the disciples went into the town to get food and they came back and they, Jesus was uh, witnessing to this woman and trying to present himself as the Messiah so that she might be saved. And the disciples are confused because he's not taking anything to eat. Jesus said unto them, I have meat to eat of that you know not of. And John the Baptist was different and deliberate in his appetite because he was more focused on eating the spiritual food that God had for him rather than the physical food that he could enjoy. It would be well if you fasted once in a while. It would be well if you put some things to the side once in a while and just replace it with feasting on the things in the word of God. He said, I have meat to eat of that you don't know. And I think God wants us to enjoy feasting on food, as it were, bread from heaven. And we're more important on eating the bread of this earth. And so he had his practice. He was distinct in his apparel. He was deliberate in his appetite. He was direct in his appeal. Notice in verse 5, he says, they Then went out to him, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. He was very direct in his appeal, and because he was direct in his appeal, there was a response. And so let's be direct about it. Our, our conversations with people, our lifestyle that we live, needs to be very clear that this is what our expectations are. Our expectation is that you might be saved. That you might get saved and you might get baptized. And if you're baptized, you join the church and you get involved in the church and you start ministering within the body of Christ. That's the expectation. The expectation is not somebody praying a prayer and you never see them again. The expectation is not that somebody says, oh, I want to join the church and they join the church and six months later they're gone. They don't stay in the church. I, I, I tell you, we need to raise the bar of our expectations. And he was direct in his appeal uh, to why we're doing this, this 13 weeks in Sunday school on the real church. Because I think we need to be direct in our understanding and comprehension of what the church is. And everybody ought to be in Sunday school. Not some of us go home. Everybody needs to be in Sunday school. You say, I've been saved a while. Well, then you know you need to be in Sunday school. I don't need to tell you, amen, direct in his appeal. And I'm not, I'm not going to be preaching all the way around Robin Hood's barn. I'm going to be direct. I'm just going to speak the truth and, and be right up front of what the expectations are. He was direct in his appeal. Not only that, he was demeaning when it was appropriate. Now, I'm not talking about being dis just being disrespectful, but the Pharisees and Sadducees came to John, and John did not play around with them. Notice in uh, verse uh, 8, 7 and 8, But when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, 
He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. I mean, he did not allow them to get away with their hypocrisy. He confronted them. Why are you coming here? You coming here to put on a show? You haven't repented. Why don't you show some fruit of repentance? Why don't you show that you have a change of heart? Why don't you show that you want to commit your way to the Christ, the Messiah that is coming? Don't come here playing games with this thing. And so he was willing to confront them and uh, their hypocrisy. George Whitfield said this. He said, it is an undoubted truth that every doctrine that comes from God leads to God. And that which doth not tend to promote holiness is not of God. The church of Jesus Christ in 2019 needs to learn that. All teaching does not come from God. Matter of fact, John said, Beloved, believe not the Spirit. Believe not every spirit. Why? He said, try the spirits, whether they be of God or not. Why? Because there was false doctrine that was going out. There was false teaching that was going out. And, and he's, John's practice was this. He would not embrace and accept the hypocrisy of the false teaching that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were bringing. It is not unloving and it is not unkind to say, wait a minute, I'm going to live my life in the reality of the doctrinal truths that are in the Word of God. And anything other than what the Word of God says is false. It's heresy. So his practice, his preaching, and then we see his position in verse 9 through 12. Notice, first of all, his position was to remove generational pride. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Generational pride. See, Israel had a problem. They thought they were right with God just simply because of the patriarchs of the faith. Just because of their genealogy, they thought they were right with the Lord. But they weren't. And they were full of pride. And John's position was... You got to get rid of this pride from generation to generation and generation. Why? Because every man has to give an account of himself before God. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16, these six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to running to mischief, a false balance that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. I mean, these Pharisees and these Sadducees thought they were right with God because of their forefathers, because of the testimony of Abraham. And John said, wait a minute, God doesn't need you as children or descendants of Abraham. He could take these stones and raise up people unto himself. And so he confronted removal of generational pride. But not only that, but there's a reprove of unfruitful root. In verse 10, he says, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And so he confronts this reality 
of the false tree, a wicked tree, the ax has been laid to the root of that tree, and because of that, it has, has been killed, and because real fruit comes through Jesus Christ. John chapter 15, verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bringeth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that bringeth fruit, he purgeth it, that it might bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, I am in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. John understood that principle that there need to be reproof of the unfruitful root. And he said the axe has been laid and the unfruitful root is going to be burned in the fire. And so remove generational pride, reprove unfruitful root, and then receive fire of the Holy Ghost. In verse 11, he says, I indeed baptize you in water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. John understood his position in Christ. Christ was the one to receive honor and glory. He did, he did not deserve any recognition whatsoever. But he says this, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the gardener, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. There is the wrath and the judgment of God that still is coming on mankind. And I understand we're in the age of grace. I understand the only way we're saved is by grace. But I also do understand also that once you're saved by grace, you're to produce fruit. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Jesus says that in John chapter 15. And so uh, we need to realize that God wants us to produce fruit, and that fruit's going to be experienced by the fire of the Holy Ghost that is in us. Jerry Bridges said this, We are to come to the Word in a spirit of humility and contrition because we recognize that we are sinful, that we are often blind to our sinfulness, and that we need the enlightening power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Oh, how we need to acknowledge the fact that we must confess our sins daily. Amen. We must be pure and clean daily. Uh, we need the Spirit of God to bring conviction on our hearts daily. Why? Because my flesh will lie to me. My flesh will tell me, Mike, you're okay. My flesh will say, well, you're not as bad as somebody else. You're okay. But the Spirit of God convicts my soul that I need to get right with the Lord. And so receiving the fire of the Holy Spirit, is there a fire of God down in your soul? A move of the Spirit of God that brings conviction on your heart. Uh, Jim uh, Simbala, uh, in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, said this, I despair at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. I read that and I thought, my goodness gracious, I don't want to live a life of 70, 80, 90, 100 years 
and not experience a move of God miraculously? I don't want to go through 2019 as a pastor and not see a mighty move of God, Holy Spirit at our church. I don't, I don't want to go through just the movements and the study and the preaching just to do status quo each Sunday and not see a move of God. I don't want that. If God's not going to be here, then what's the sense in us being here? If God's not going to move, what's the sense in us making all the plans and all the preparations and do all kinds of different things if God's not going to move? John came with awareness that he was simply preparing the way for Jesus Christ to come on the scene and that he would baptize us with the fire of the Holy Ghost. Oh, how we need a baptism of the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I ain't talking about speaking in tongues either. I'm talking about a spiritual conviction that God moves upon our hearts that where we cannot do anything but get right with God before we take another step or another breath in our life. The character of John the Baptist was, he wasn't afraid to preach. He wasn't afraid to proclaim the truths about Jesus Christ. He wasn't afraid to practice his life as a believer in Christ. He was uncompromising in living out his life for Christ. And he certainly was not ashamed of the fact that it was not about him. It was about Christ. And it's not about us. It's about Christ. And if we live our lives acknowledging that every moment of every day, I'm going to tell you, I believe it will make a difference. I believe it will make a difference in our homes. It will make a difference in our church, make a difference in our community. I believe there will be people that will be stirred and moved and convicted to be saved. I believe there will be a fire from heaven that will come down that will burn hot in the heart of every believer. And there will be a move of God in our midst like we've never seen before. You say, how, can you, how do you know that? Because I just read about the character of John the Baptist, and that's exactly what took place. In his life, Christ came on, and by the time you get to Luke chapter 24, the men on the Maus Road talking to Jesus said, did not our hearts burn within us? There was a fire that came upon them because of the revelation of who Christ is. The character of John the Baptist. What's your life going to be in 2019? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. I thank you so much for John. It's amazing to study his life and go through all that he experienced. And God, we just did an introduction, just kind of scraping the surface, so to speak, of looking at his character, Lord. Help us to be people of God that are straight on, straight up honest, and surrendered completely to the Savior who delivered us. And may we proclaim to others the reality that Jesus is coming again. We have a wonderful Savior. We have new life. It's a powerful life. Help us to be able to show others how they can receive Christ as their Savior. And we'll praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.